This podcast has been prepared exclusively for institutional, wholesale, professional clients, and qualified investors only, as defined by local laws and regulations. Please read other important information, which can be found on the link at the end of the podcast episode. Good morning. Welcome to another Eye on the Market podcast. This one is for our bear market barometers piece. We've done two podcasts so far on the energy piece. I'll have a couple more uh, on residential heating and hydrogen coming up in the weeks ahead. But I wanted to make sure and do a quick podcast on this week's piece. The bottom line is the slowdown that will eventually be induced by the central banks raising policy rates is just starting. And I think you can be patient when adding risk to portfolios. Um, a, A good amount of damage has been done in terms of lower multiples in a bunch of different markets. Uh, but earnings are going to eventually come down, and, and markets are pricing in maybe a 30 to 40% chance of a recession. And um, if you're looking for a bottom at which to add risk, you'd normally want to do that when the chance of a recession is priced in at least 50 or 60%. That bottom is likely to coincide with a peak in inflation because that's going to tell us how much the central banks are going to have to tighten. Uh, a lot of Wall Street research and the IMF. Um, thinks that's happening now. They think the peak in inflation is happening now. Um, But I don't think we're there yet. Uh, We've got a couple of charts in this piece. The U.S. labor markets are at their tightest levels in the post-war era. The supply chain pressures, which are still pretty intense, have yet to come down. And most importantly, there's evidence, at least in part of the the U.S. economy, specifically in low-wage industries, that there's a wage price spiral going on. In other words, Wages are going up. Companies are passing along those price increases to customers. um, And and that wage price spiral is is kicking in in ways we haven't seen in in at least 30 years, maybe 40. So uh, there's a lot riding on when inflation peaks. But even if that happens now, which I doubt, the Fed's got a ways to go before it can stop uh, raising policy rates. And I think along the way, there may be some better entry points in equity markets, even than the ones that we see right now. Um, there was, there's a chart in here. Sometimes, you know, we, we talked about this a lot over the years. And all, we all knew, you knew, that this was going to change one day. The only question is when. Um, it has, and what I'm referring to is, is negative policy rates. In other words, policy rates and 10-year treasuries below the rate of inflation. And we had never lived through, I had never lived through a period uh, where we had such sustained low policy rates. And then in 2020, uh, the 10-year went deeply negative in real terms. And that's when P.E. multiples really took off and and rose. And now that, that Treasury rates are on their way towards rising above the rate of inflation, or at least inflation expectations, uh, P.E. multiples are declining. So I I think that process has more to go. And and I'm not so focused on earnings right now. This correction so far is mostly about overpriced multiples uh, finally coming down, which is why we have a couple of pages showing you what's happened to PE multiples in a number of different markets. Um, Before I get into that, I just want to mention that there's um, there's a chart in here that looks at two different ways of the value versus growth question. No matter how you look at it, the markets are not, quote unquote, back to normal yet. Um, We're nowhere near where we were from, let's say, 2010 to 2018, 
where, where there were some kind of stable equilibrium between value and growth. Uh, growth stocks, even though they've come down a bunch on an on a earnings yield basis, are, are still pretty expensive. And um, some of the leading indicators that we look at tell us that there's likely to be a pretty sharp drawdown in global manufacturing sometime this fall. And usually when global manufacturing takes a dive down, um, global corporate earnings do as well. And the cushion that we had last year uh, in the U.S. was that inventory levels are very low. Well, now they've caught up. And one of the charts in here shows you that inventories have actually risen quite sharply um, and that sales have come down to that level of inventory. So some of the cushions that we had in terms of an understocked and undersupplied corporate sector um, that existed last year are not in place right now. There's a page in here that has P.E. multiples uh, for equities. Uh, just some charts and monitors that we're following. And what you'll see is certainly amongst the growth stocks and, and, and amongst the, the big mega cap eight stocks, uh, the largest eight by market cap, the, the surge in valuations that took place because of COVID stimulus, that's been completely reversed. So if you're looking for an entry point that has to do with erasing the premium that was put on these stocks because of all the stimulus from COVID, that's now been erased and eliminated. Uh, but that still puts you at, you know, 2018-2019 multiples, which are on the expensive side of history. What looks a little bit cheaper here is uh, U.S. small cap in Europe, but I don't have a ton of confidence in either one of those right now as a, as a bottom fishing expedition. The, the NASDAQ um, looks tempting. Um, half of the NASDAQ is down at least 50%. Uh, but in, in the correction that took place in 2001, it was much worse than that. And so uh, it still feels like there could be a little bit to come as well in terms of NASDAQ weakness. Um, and then there's a page on fixed income, which is a mixed bag. The opportunities in emerging markets, uh, government bonds, have, have gotten uh, pretty attractive, whereas U.S. high yield has only just begun to widen. And there really hasn't been much activity at all in terms of um, investment-grade credit spreads, leverage loans, commercial paper, and asset-backed securities. And I think that makes sense because this, to me, this feels more like 2001 than 2008. In other words, this is a multiple and valuation story, and this is not a story about credit risk or the security and safety of the banking system. Um, so I think that's a pretty important distinction. Uh, so bottom line, um, there should be some cheaper entry points over the next few months because the Fed still has a lot of work to do to catch up to the wage and price inflation that's percolating in the system. There's a couple of follow-ups here. I have some information on COVID, including an apology <laughs> uh, from me to somebody. Uh, you can read about uh, why I'm doing that. And then... Um, there's a chart in here called Tales from the Crypt. Uh, I thought it would be interesting to, to look at an update on what's going on in the crypto markets since our Maltese Falcoin piece last February. Um, look, I mean, w when I wrote this paper, I got a lot of grief for it. As, as an old guy, I'm turning 60 this week, who doesn't understand the future. Um, all I can tell you is that since I wrote that piece, the value proposition and valuation theories for crypto, in my opinion, just keep getting worse and worse and worse. I'll tick through a few of them. 
the concept of a store of value for Bitcoin, I mean, Bitcoin's volatility remains five times the volatility of the S&P 500. It's got a 0.8 correlation with the NASDAQ. Crypto as an inflation hedge doesn't make sense. Uh, crypto prices are plummeting while inflation's going up. Uh, Bitcoin, its number of confirmed transactions per day is still below where it was in 2018. So Bitcoin as a means of exchange isn't going anywhere. For for Ethereum and, and the kind of blockchain application-based tokens and exchanges, uh, platforms, um, as we expected, uh, DeFi lending is crumbling because most DeFi lending is collateralized by crypto. And, and DeFi lending is down 25%, along with declining crypto prices. This, this wasn't very difficult to, to anticipate. Um, and then the gaming tokens, you know, a lot of very smart venture capital people put a ton of money into some of these metaverse gaming things. Um, Decentraland, Axie Infinity, Sandbox, um, they all have very high valuations and fewer users than the non-blockchain games like Fortnite and Candy Crush and Grand Theft Auto. Um, I, I read a report that at the end of April, Sandbox and Decentraland were averaging around 1,000 users a day. I mean, I think that's still the number of people that use Lotus 123. So um, as far as I can tell, uh, the, the value proposition and the valuation theories uh, for crypto have gotten worse rather than better since our February piece. So that's it for this week. I will be back next week with, um, with a part three podcast on our energy paper. Thank you for listening. Michael Semblis, Eye on the Market, offers a unique perspective on the economy, current events, markets, and investment portfolios, and is a production of J.P. Morgan Asset and Wealth Management. Michael Semblis is the chairman of Market and Investment Strategy for J.P. Morgan Asset Management and is one of our most renowned and provocative speakers. For more information, please subscribe to the Eye on the Market by contacting your J.P. Morgan representative. If you'd like to hear more, please explore episodes on iTunes or on our website. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only and is a communication on behalf of J.P. Morgan Institutional Investments Incorporated. Views may not be suitable for all investors and are not intended as personal investment advice or as solicitation or recommendation. Outlooks and past performance are never guarantees of future results. This is not investment research. Please read other important information which can be found at www.jpmorgan.com forward slash disclaimer dash EOTM.